Hello, Spiral Out Podcast listeners. Big news for the podcast. Big news. This podcast has got its first official sponsor. Yes, somebody sponsored this podcast. Drum roll, please. Head on over to rockabilia.com. It's the coolest place on the internet to get all your officially licensed music merch. That's right, officially licensed. You can get tool shirts. You could get a perfect circle hoodie, uh, a deft home shirt. You could get a Metallica towel. You could get a sleep token sculpture, nine-inch nails pins. Uh, you can turn your whole house into a music museum. So head on over to rockabilia.com and use the promo code SPIRALOUT to get 10% off your order. Again, rockabilia.com promo code SPIRALOUT. The podcast is honored to partner with Rockabilia. We are excited for the future. We are excited about new episodes. So thank you for listening. Uh, enjoy this week's episode with Mark Dean Vecca. What an amazing guy that is. This is probably the best episode I've ever recorded, hands down. I know I say that a lot uh, when I record episodes, but every time I talk to somebody new, it, it's just so interesting and informative, and uh, it just kind of tickles uh, my fancy. So enjoy the episode. Again, rockabilia.com, promo code Spiral Out to get your uh, Metallica t-shirt or your tool shirt or a uh, ACDC towel or a Beatles blanket. Uh, they have a ton of cool stuff. I bought a Deftones poster the other day. And again, official tour poster. So uh, rockabilia.com. Thank you for listening. Spiral out. This is Harry Man back. Francesco from Rome, Italy. And you're listening to the Spiral Out podcast with your host, Chris West. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spiral Out podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chris West, and very excited for today's guest, uh, Mark Dean Vecca. That's right. Vecca. Mark Dean Vecca. Yep. And um, if you don't know who he is, then you probably live under a rock, <laughs> uh, especially if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Mark is prolific. I, I can't even uh, quantify how much art and work you have out there. I mean, it's just between installations, fine art, gig posters, sculptures, um, murals. I don't think there's a thing you haven't done. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting. It's It's been really fun to mix things up and to try to just sort of stick my toe into, you know, everything that comes along and it keeps it interesting and fresh and inspiring, you know. And uh, on, on that uh, inspiring, I think probably one of my first questions would be is where, what is something that you, you do to um, initiate inspiration uh, on, a, on a regular basis? Well, you know, I mean, I just try to expose myself to as much culture as I can in, in every different way, high and low. And, um, you know, I've always loved, you know, I, I've, I've loved that idea of 
of blurring the boundaries between high and low art. And that's been something that's been a sort of a, a pretty constant theme throughout my life and my career. And, you know, and I started out, you know, really just being all about comics and, uh, you know, all that kind of, uh, what was, you know, could, would be considered lower forms of art. But then I think that at some point I realized that, you know, they really can, there really can be like a leveling out of that playing field and that some of the, my favorite things are, you know, um, are they, they just come from all these different worlds and they all can sort of sit on this on a, on a level plane for me so <clears throat> so by um low and you said low and high art yeah I'm, I'm guessing you're talking maybe the the contrast between pop pop culture art and like graffiti and like fine art yeah so that was something that you know like yeah so for me in particular yeah sort of coming out of comics and illustration and 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 all that kind of stuff you know which is one of the ways i learned to draw when i was growing up and and didn't really have i wasn't really exposed to a lot of museums galleries and high art fine art you know kind of stuff as i was growing up um and i when i went to art school because i did i you know i tended to be an illustrator and I, cause I didn't really know what fine art was. I just, at that point, I, I really didn't have a concept. I just knew that I loved to draw and paint. And, you know, I was very into these visual mediums and, and I loved popular culture and comics and cartoons. And so when I went to art school, I, you know, that's when I was exposed to the wider art world, um, you know, the fine art world. And, and I really responded to a lot of that as well. And especially the, the stuff that I think already was kind of playing with those, you know, working about breaking those boundaries, like pop art, like, you know, Warhol or Ed Ruscha or uh, a lot of the pop artists who were using popular culture to create pop art and, and not just creating more popular culture. So when you're picking a figure or a concept or a character from pop culture, um, something I've heard in different interviews or, or just read about you um, and trying to figure this out myself, you, you can put different meanings into an established character. For example, the, the guy, the Monopoly guy or, oh. or, um, yeah, the Monopoly guy or Scrooge McDuck. Um, mm -hmm. I guess I'm my question, and I'm curious about how you do this or what the process is more of picking a character and then having uh, an idea or a concept and molding those together, um, mm -hmm. and and saying something, you know, that might be political or might be emotional. Right. What What's the process when picking a character, and, and again, and how do you how do you incorporate it into that that emotion or that feeling or or that piece of art? Well, with the ones you just mentioned in particular, those are good examples. Uh, because usually, like you know, whenever I would pick a, some subject matter from existing popular culture, like those characters, 
you know, it's it it's not random for sure. You know, it's not yeah. just oh, that's cool, I like that, or this would be popular or something. It's never like that. Uh, usually, there's I mean, there's a lot of thought goes into picking the right image, and so yeah, I can use one of those or both of those uh, characters as examples. Uh, that was a show. I did those paintings for a show uh, in LA in 2010 at a gallery called Western Project. And 2010, you know, there was, you know, there was the whole financial upheaval that happened in 2008, and the economy and the whole world was just rocked by this whole economic meltdown. And, and so at that time, I was thinking about, you know, the sort of the collapse of this American dream, so to speak. You know, I mean, we really felt like there was so much that we all took for granted as far as, you know, just the way the world worked and, uh, you know, the value of things and and just, just sort of the whole structure, really. It was crazy and how it all fell apart. And so those paintings were kind of addressing some of those issues. And so I wanted to choose, both of those were sort of these cartoon, you know, uh, millionaires, right? Uncle Scrooge McDuck and the Monopoly Man, they kind of represented these millionaires, billionaires, whatever. Um, and so I was kind of showing those, and they're usually presented in these very squeaky clean kind of, uh, you know, their original, original representations by Disney or Monopoly. You know, they're just these very slick kind of sterile cartoons, very graphic in that way. And I just sort of decided to use those as a framework, as a like a found composition within which to just improvise all of my sort of organic biomorphic abstraction to sort of show them in a state of decay or de-evolution or um, just sort of giving them this sort of grotesque treatment. And so, yeah, after like, you know, look, looking around at a lot of different images, choosing those for those reasons, but also because I felt like there was a personal connection for me, just because those are characters that I grew up with that I had an affinity for, but I also felt had a wider kind of universal appeal to a lot of people so it, it wasn't just my you know it's not they just appealed to me but they appealed to a broad audience that would understand you know the you know what i was driving at um and the the final thing being that they just you know the forms the forms and the shapes just visually that they are compro composed of were interesting to me as far as uh for me to be able to work with and to come up with something in the end that I thought uh, would make a good painting, you know, because that was also, you know, that's a huge part of it for me. It's, it's got to be, it's got to have that appeal. It's got to be appealing for me to work with and, and to, I, I want to make the kind of work that, that I want to see. So it's, it's all of the, all of those things go into choosing uh, an image to work with. Well, in, in contrast, so those you said were in 2010, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, in contrast, you, you recently did like the, the Pringles guy, right? Right. So I, I guess the, 
the Scrooge McDuck and the Monopoly Man, again, you can go straight there. Money, um, yeah. I don't want to say tyrannical, but they're, they have uh, an identity. Uh, I'm very curious about the Pringles guy and what that means, in, again, in contrast of uh, that I might not get. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, so I could I could sort of relate that to like the, the body of work that I did directly after the financial ones, which was uh, where I was using, you know, these sort of mascots for corporate food, right? Like, you know, the food companies, the products that are produced and sort of pushed on people through advertising to get them to eat all of this really terrible stuff right like so i i did a painting of uh tony the tiger uh from that series and charlie tuna you know it was sort of a comment about about the uh you know some of the mercury in the tuna uh the kool-aid you know the kool-aid guy you know so all these products that are sort of these mascots that are kind of uh directed towards kids in a lot of ways and not that that was necessarily going through my head when I did the Pringles guy. Um, missed his name is uh, one of my one of my uh, collectors was telling me uh, his name. Should I look it up uh, real quick? Ju- Ju- Julius Julius Pringle uh, was that character. Is that name. correct? His name is yeah. Julius Pringle. Yeah. yeah. So th- uh, yeah, I can see that. To Key Seals for that one and. Uh, so we, uh, but, you know, actually, so, you know, so after having just said all of that about, you know, this very, you know, methodical and very thoughtful way that I choose these images, uh, that one, that Mr. Pringle image in particular, um, my wife threw a birthday party for me last year, last July, and we were, you know, serving these cans of Pringles. And at the end of the night, there was that, that you know, the little, the seal from the top of the Pringles can was laying on the floor and I just picked it up and said, Oh, that would make an awesome painting, <laughs> you know? So, uh, I, I mean, so sometimes it's as simple as that. I, so I, I guess I'm contradicting myself saying like, Oh, this all this, it's, it's not that it's not random per se, but, um, anyway, well maybe actually maybe because of all of the above, when I saw that image, I thought, Oh, well, this fits perfectly into what I've been doing. And so it it was just, you know, and it also had that that personal level of being from that night. And, you know, I was doing working on new work for a show in Tokyo. And I just said, boom, okay, that's my next painting. And I'm, I'm also trying to keep myself more open lately to not overthinking everything and just sort of, you know, when sort of you can call it inspiration if you want to but like when an idea or or an idea or an image pops into your head you know you don't have to um you know interrogate it to death you can say okay that intuitively i know as an artist that this is an image that i can use that would be interesting and that would that it might work and you try it and hopefully it does well, that brings me to uh, like humor, right? So I think there's a level of comedy in in what you're doing in in an artistic way. Again, with something like Tony the Tiger, uh, and I'm wondering if that is an intentional or is it just 
kind of a reflection of your personality. You seem like a fun guy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Um, I yeah, I've always loved humor and art, and so that's definitely true. You know, I mentioned you know I mentioned Ed Ruscha, I think before as someone who who was an artist that you know I mean he's a huge contemporary artist um, and has been you know he started kind of in the becoming popular in the sixties and seventies and. I think um, I always responded to a lot of the humor in his work. And I remember kind of what, what I was saying before, after when I was going to art school at Otis and I, I was just discovering the fine art world. And I saw this retrospective of Ed Ruscha paintings that year. This is probably 1981 or 1982. And, and I was like, oh shit, this is, this is art. This can be art. You know, these, these paintings that I saw were just, uh, they were so fun and and so much more than just fun, but worked on so many levels that and that really appealed to me that that's kind of what inspired me. I always you know give him credit if that's what you want to call it for uh for sort of opening up my eyes and pushing me in that direction and kind of making me want to pursue fine art uh, as opposed to illustration. Again, being new to this relatively, I mm-hmm. this might be one of those dumb questions I was talking about. How do you tell the difference between something that's fine art and some like like you said, maybe just like an illustration? Because if you, I've seen some of your like original drawings online or like on your page, and they go for a lot. And that's is that technically an illustration or is it fine art? Well, that's a, that is a good question. And I think that's kind of what I'm saying. Like a lot of the boundaries have become more and more blurred, right? right. Like what actually, cause when I was going to art school, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, you talk about decon and all this stuff and, and a lot of these artists that decon that stuff didn't exist back in the early eighties when I was going to art school. It's like you were either one or the other. So you either were a painter, you showed in galleries and museums or, or you know, a sculptor, whatever, or you an illustrator or some kind of a commercial artist, right? And I remember sort of like mid eighties, I think is when in LA, especially like when those things, those boundaries started becoming blurred. I remember when illustrators, you know, would say, oh yeah, well, and this is my personal work. They would show like stuff that they didn't do for uh, an assignment that was assigned to them by an art director. And it would be, you know, I mean, in a lot of a lot of times, that was just you know, it was an illustration that was done without an art director or just for themselves, for their portfolio or whatever. But in you know, I don't know. It's it 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 be, there became a, almost like another uh, a third like a, a middle ground, okay. But that's also when this whole high low thing started with juxtapose. And Robert Williams, and and he was such a proponent of this idea of uh, breaking all these boundaries and saying that any of this lower these lower forms could be a fine art, high art, whatever. So tattoos, hot rod culture, you know, graphics, t-shirt graphics, uh, posters, all of you know, all of these things. You know, why can't you know? Who's to say what is 
fine art and what is not. And and so that's and, and basically what it comes down to at this point is your intention, like what you what the artist says it is, and the context, uh, you know, you know, where it's being seen or presented. For example, you know, Robert Crumb, you know, the lowest of the low back when he started, you know, uh, you know, underground comics, uh, Zap Comics in the 60s. I mean, what could be lower, really? <laughs> One of my favorite artists, uh, you know, just a master, a master draftsman and just a brilliant, a brilliant guy. And now he's his work is, is highly sought after, shown in museums all over the world. And so a lot has changed in that way. Uh, so there, there really is no way to define it except, I think, how the artist defines it and how the greater, you know, world defines it. Um, do you think it has something to also do with, um, like, reputation? Like, you have a great reputation and you have this universe of work. So you doing a, like an or, original sketch that's maybe not printed, like some something one of one mm -hmm. then be, then becomes, um, uh, extremely valuable, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's more of something that has to do with the, the art market, I guess, you know, sure. and about how, like, and about my career and about how, I have presented myself over the years and how I view myself and, and then how you hope that other people view you as well. I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. one of those things that, you know, and I'm not saying that, that all the work is created equal uh, per se. And there's a lot of shit work in every category, sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, like in, you know, any, you, in any medium yeah. of music, any medium and, oh, yeah, video. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like you can go, to some of these sort of lowbrow galleries or magazines or whatever and, and see stuff that you think maybe isn't, uh, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, that's, you know, people from the fine art world might go say, oh, well, that's not, you know, there's that's not very good. But then you can go into any <laughs> gallery, you know, in Chelsea on any given day and, and say the same thing, you know. So it's, it I almost think, reminds yeah. me of like top 40 right? Like, yeah, some, a lot of people like it. A lot of people don't like it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's really, you know, and a lot of, Hey, obviously, you know, there's a lot of pop music throughout the years that that's a good example because there's, there's so much that, I mean, I totally love and consider to be some of the yeah. best art ever made. And some of it is just the absolute worst, you know? Um, I'm going to switch. Opinion. Yeah. I'm going to switch a little, actually, I'm going to go back a little about sure. characters there seems to be a fascination with artists and uh this character kang from the pusover poster i see him everywhere the simpsons alien he's on yeah. everything i'm yeah. just curious on what what uh why <laughs> and then we can talk a little bit about the pusover poster if you don't mind yeah yeah i mean you know what i don't know i mean i haven't i haven't really noticed that um, I know, you know, a lot of those characters uh, and, and plenty of, you know, characters from all over uh, other car comics or, or animation. Yeah, you see the, see a lot of them everywhere. Uh, I think it's Kang and Kodos were hilarious characters. I <laughs> right? love Matt Groening. <laughs> I love Simpsons. Um, and 
And I can definitely, I mean, if you want to talk about that Pusa poster. I would love to. Um, yeah. So, so I was listening to um, your other podcast with uh, Jimbo, right? Yeah. Jimbo Phillips. Yeah. Great right? guy. Yeah. And he, yeah. And he was talking about his, some of his stuff that he did with the uh, Pusifer posters. And it's sort of, you know, it's, it's a similar kind of story where, they they asked me if I'd be interested in doing a poster and then sort of gave me these guidelines about what kind of imagery they were looking for, what kind of flavor they were looking for in their in the poster. So which is kind of nice in a way, um in that it, it narrows things down. Um because they're not they weren't, you know, it was it was broad enough. And I, you know, just to reiterate, it was this idea of, you know, they wanted something to do with aliens or men in black or conspiracy theories, or, you know, there was that kind of thing that they wanted for the poster. So my job then is to sort of say, okay, well, where does what they want overlap with what I do and what I want, you know? So it was kind of like looking around, like I, I, once again, I love this idea of taking a found object out of popular culture that I have a connection to that, uh, maybe other people have a connection to as well, and then using that as a structure or uh, a form within which to improvise all of my line work. And so I, I looked around and tried to find different, you know, aliens that were uh, that were out there that that I could work with. Were there any um, uh, contenders? Were there any like runner-ups? Yeah, I was just trying to think what there was. Yeah, I mean, there was probably like, you know, there was one guy, I think from, well, there was the guy from, I don't even know their names. There was the the character from Warner Brothers who was like a, a Marvin the Martian probably, right. or like the Flintstones, I don't know, had like this other guy. and Oh yeah, the little guy? Uh, yeah, like, I don't know, the, the great Wazoo or something. Yeah, and, who also was know, in Jetsons, I think. In what? Wasn't he in, in the Jetsons as well? Yeah, yeah, maybe it was the Jetsons, yeah, but maybe both. But um, I think, Yeah, I think he went to both. Yeah, and so, but, you know, you try to look around, and then so it, then it becomes, okay, about, like, you know, all of the other things that I mentioned about the shapes and the forms and what, you know, what, what it might look like. Um, and so... Yeah, but anyway, so I, I settled on on Kang, you know, and I thought, okay, this will make a killer poster. And and that's kind of, you know, then it's basically taking it and then making, pretty much making a straight up drawing as if I wasn't doing a poster, just doing a black and white ink on paper drawing of Kang and then sort of turning that into a poster with the text and all of that. What, what I'm curious um, is you seem to, and I'm, I know you've been asked about this a, a bunch um, and I've, I've explained uh, to, Toile de Joy, right? Yeah, to, uh, Toile de Joy. Toile de Joy. Toile de Joy. So Toile is a, is a cloth, means right? fa- cloth or fabric, yeah. right? And Joy is a town in France where it became, it was made popular in like the 18th century, you know, like yeah. Marie Antoinette kind of I looked, day. I looked, yeah. I looked up a bunch of it. 
Um, okay, cool. Um, and got a little bit of history on it. Uh, but this pattern style that you do, which is, mm-hmm. a, again, this French word that I'll mess up a billion times, um, you seem to be able to create anything out of it. Um, I'm, and I'm wondering if you do like the outline first and then kind of f- figure out um, how to incorporate these strong lines and uh, this pattern into literally anything like a gun, Tony the Tiger, Kang, I mean, Ronald McDonald, <laughs> Batman. Well, yeah, well, actually, so, you know, there's that you're kind of talking about two separate things. Oh, um, fair enough. Please school me. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's just like, so, you know, the pattern, Toile de Jouis, you know, the, it's this textile pattern from 18th century France, right? And and so the story behind that is that I, I discovered that on my mother-in-law's bathroom wall, her wallpaper, and I just was fascinated by it, and and I just loved the intricacy and the draftsmanship and the way it repeated, and I was like, wow, I I really got to do something with this. Like, I don't know what, but there's something there for me that's just really fascinating me, you know, and that's and that's kind of what, you know, that's, they call it inspiration, I guess. But I ended up just taking a photo of it. And then when I got back home, uh, projecting that pattern up onto a, a large sheet of paper, about 40 by 60 inches, and just blocking in the basic pattern, none of the imagery, none of the detail, just, just like the pattern itself, the, the big shapes. And, and then I just jumped in with at that time, just a brush and some acrylic, I think, uh, paint. And I had no idea where I was going or what I was doing with this at all. And I just started in doing probably some abstraction, uh, just some abstract lines and forms and shapes. But in those, in the Toile de Jouy patterns, you know, that, that existed, uh, you know, back in the day, they were made up of, imagery you know usually images of the countryside or mythology or history there you know there were recognizable images within them and so what what i would do is i would do all my sort of abstract areas but then i would insert something you know very faithfully rendered in my style images from popular culture once again from album covers advertising um, comics, you know, I tried to, to really be diverse and, and balanced in a way logos, just like tried to pick a lot of different things, things that's either sometimes were very connected thematically or just completely diverse, but it really opened up a way, a new way for me to work, which was really just kind of blew me away. It was like, Oh my God, thank you. And I feel like I have like, uh so much freedom to do whatever i want to whatever i feel like and it was very much like going back to you know what really got me started drawing in the first place back when i was you know a kid and just sort of having fun and just doing what i loved and and not maybe not being so precious about all of it so that was the toile de jouis i mean that was the toile works you know in and of themselves. Sure. Later on, I 
I kind of flipped it on its head in a way. And I would start with the found object, which would be the, the Tony, the tiger, and then do all of my improvisation within that figure, uh, usually with a very uh, minimal background. Uh, so those works would not be considered while de Jouy, uh, because there's no overall pattern. That's all. It's just a, a, minor, gotcha. a minor distinction, but I guess an important one. Agreed. So I'm, I'm again. What you're trying to tell me is you you found this style with the Tol de V, and mm -hmm. um, and then like you said, you flipped it and kind of created your own style that you could use uh, with characters and and throughout your whole art, you kind of I don't, I don't know the word. Um, again, you found you found your identity after playing with the the 18th century pattern yeah 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 i guess that's true yeah i mean i kind of i remember when I, the first one i did was you know and also you know i gotta say that this this <laughs> it also came out of one of my collaborations with another artist uh cause are you familiar with cause no but i'm gonna write it down uh, okay yeah okay he's a he's a big artist k-a-w-s he's started out as a street artist and now he's like kind of you know dominating uh, kind of uh, a lot of the uh, art world, um, but like over my shoulder here, this skeleton mm -hmm. here, that's the piece that I did in collaboration with Cause back in uh, 2006 or something. I don't know, but when you know, so I did some T-shirt. He had a T-shirt. He had a, a company called Original Fake, and they were doing T-shirts. And so he asked me if I wanted to collaborate and take some of his characters and do my give them my treatment in a way so i did uh some of those and then i realized you know okay this is something that i could uh this is interesting i just said what this is interesting this is like a new way for me to work to um to do my work but not have it necessarily tied to this overall pattern and which and the timing was really good because i was getting a little tired of doing those patterns you know I, I mean they were very successful for me and i got a lot of attention from them and sales and that was great but after doing them for a few years i was like okay what's next and so this was kind of the next step in the evolution was to um sort of take these figures and isolate them and give them the treatment and and i've gone back and forth you know there's i always say there's no there's no harm in circling back and pulling things out of things that um you know ways of working that maybe i had given up in the past i'm always down to sort of mine my own history for imagery and ideas and yeah i continue to do that so, so what do you think draws you uh, what do you think draws you into uh, this particular style with, you know, the heavy line work and intricate patterns? What do, what do you think it is about it that, that resonates with you? Well, uh, one of the ways that I learned to draw was from comic books. So I, I was very into Mad Magazine as a little kid, as well as other, like, you know, Archie comics and superheroes in DC and Marvel and stuff like that. 
but Mad Magazine for sure. And, you know, and I would copy as a kid, I would just copy out of Mad Magazine. And then later on, like in high school, got into underground comics, you know, Zippy the Pinhead, Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers, stuff like that. Artists like Bill Griffith and, and Gilbert Shelton. And so I was way into that stuff and I would just copy. And so I just learned to, one of the, I learned to draw that way. And, and I, and I love that kind of drawing. I love the, the simplicity of, of that kind of line work, how you can take uh, in a few simple lines, create form and shape and depth and, and uh, space. And, and I think also for me, I think growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 60s and 70s, during that sort of psychedelic period, um, you know, there was definitely like a, a very ornate sensibility to that, which also kind of related to, you know, this sort of 18th century French style, a lot of the, you know, sort of Baroque or Rococo kind of uh, you know, poster art. I mean, a lot of it is also, I guess, Art Nouveau, but that's similar, I think. Um, I think a lot of the psychedelic rock posters and albums, those were all big influences on me, just my sort of visual uh, education. I, I guess um, a better question might be is, how did you recognize, like, again, you, you, you're, figuring this out as a young artist at some point it had to click like, Oh, I need to go this way in this direction with what I'm doing right now. Was there, was there a moment, was there a reaction from people that uh, motivated you to keep going in, in this unique direction? Cause it seems very unique to me. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I can, you know, just a few things pop into my head. So, I mean, in the very beginning, you know, just sort of my whole identity as being an artist was, you know, in the second grade, you know, when I would copy something out of a, a comic or something out of a magazine and the other kids would say, Ooh, you're a good artist. And I'd look around and say, really? What? You know, <laughs> I am. And, but it was, it was like, you know, so it felt good. You were getting that positive reinforcement. So sure. I would, I keep doing it. Right. This, this was something that set me apart that, you know, people responded to that, so there was that, you know, and then, so that was, you know, anytime you would get that positive feedback, it just kind of makes you want to keep going and do more. Uh, and then I know that another thing that comes to mind with, you know, I had another, I had another professor in art school, John Mandel, when I was, I think, a junior at Otis. Yeah. And I brought in, you know, I remember one one week I brought in some drawings and for this critique, and he was, and they were like, "Yeah, well, I don't know what you're doing. What is this? You know, what is this all about? Like, why are you doing this?" And I don't know. And then, and then the next week I brought in these kind of these very gestural, sort of heavy line, scribbly kind of autobiographical drawings. And he kind of went nuts for him. He was like, you know, I challenge anyone to say that these aren't great. And, you know, hey, once again, that made me feel really good. And that, that was like, okay. 
so I, you know, he was a, he was definitely, you know, somebody who really pushed me on a certain path. And a lot of that work got a lot of attention, positive attention from people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a thing where, you know, you just do, do things and to see where they go, you know, for yourself, like how successful you think they are how other people respond to them. I mean, you can never go and try to make work to please people. Uh, it never works. Um, but, you know, you know, it's, it's great when, when what you want to do lines up with what people want to see. I mean, I think that way, you know, you get to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and you get to live like how you want to live. Yeah, I mean, if you're lucky, you know, you can, that's the whole point, right? It's sort of like, if you're lucky, you get to keep making it, you get to keep going. And um, that's all I ever wanted. It's all I ever asked for. I, uh, the goal that I set for myself was really just to, to be a working artist, which I thought was, you know, a really... Uh, you know, a kind of a lofty goal in a way. And in, in some ways it is, I know there's a lot of people, you know, there's all these statistics that say how many people start out and, and how many fall by the wayside. And I think, I like think that 3% hmm? is like, I think 3% is usually like the given uh, uh, metric yeah, on who, who becomes successful like in, in something like media or art or acting. Yeah. It's usually like 3%. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's probably on the high end, but you You're know, not wrong. It's just, but it's, uh, you know, because over the years, yeah, you know, people, and it's, I get it. I totally get it. You know, I, I you know, we've all had those feelings over the years of, uh, wow, you know, do I want to, can I keep going? Do I want to keep going? You know, uh, it's hard. And then, but it's, there's nothing else that I, you know, would rather do. There's nothing else that I want to do. I don't know if there's anything else I can do, but well, it, it I, I mean, it, that resonates with me in the, in the podcast. I mean, uh, again, I say this over and over. I'm, I'm, I use this podcast as, as a learning opportunity. Um, again, I'm, I'm trying, I've never, I've never considered myself to be, uh, creative, uh, more of a technician, even though I've played music, I make short films. It, it just seemed very logical for me and technical and now getting into poster art and and just art in general uh, it has sparked something of like okay what what does it mean to be creative what does it mean to be an artist and how do i pursue something maybe not technical but creative and i and and i'm very curious when i'm talking to artists on on what they think it means to be a creative or an artist and, and the difference, I guess, between doing something that's technically good and doing something that's creative. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a tough one, but uh, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, no, but no, it's, I don't know. I mean, because, you know, I mean, I think a lot of those terms are hard to define and, and, uh, for sure, for sure. You know, I mean, 
Yeah. Well, I guess the, the question for you would be, is, do you consider yourself to be a creative? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm very curious about this concept that you were talking about before of chaos and order. And um, the one I think recently that I saw that really uh, portrays this is the the ornamental illness stuff that mm -hmm. you just started posting or is just coming out. Because it seems at first glance, you're like, wow, it's really chaotic. But then you really look at it and it's very symmetrical and detailed. And there's there's four of them for five of them, right? Oh, okay. So you're talking about yeah, the uh, the the black and white prints that are up on my yeah, site yeah. right now? What, okay. what are they? The liar, tear, fur, and O? Yeah, actually, yeah, it was so that's that's uh lair, tear, fur, and O. Oh, I'm and sorry. <laughs> that's all right. No, no, no. And and actually, so that's so those so those are uh, new prints that I did with uh, at a residency at the space program in San Francisco a couple of years ago, and they are all taken from drawings that I did over just over 20 years ago. Um, oh, and wow. they're once again, those are very. And I also have some of the Toile de Jouy drawings up there too. Some of prints that I made from those very first Toile drawings back in 2001 or so, 2002. And so, yeah, I did those as sort of a 20th anniversary commemoration of those. Um, but, yeah, so those are, are very similar in the way that I'm just sort of using this found structure and improvising upon the structure. And... It's still it's still in that same realm, 18th century French decorative arts that I I really love. Um, I, I guess the original question is again yeah. balancing the the chaos and yeah and order. Um, yeah, yeah, and well, that's that's kind of the thing. It's like that's that's a really cool way to to solve that that problem in a way, right? It's kind of like okay, well, here's the structure. It already it's pre existing structure that I, so that I don't have to think really about uh, about and it sort of takes that part out of the equation for me like I I have my structure and within that I have I am free to do whatever I want anything I want and and not be burdened by well how is this going to look in the end is it all going to 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 be balanced or structured or ordered that's built into it. And so that's what I was saying before about like giving me that freedom and to, and just sort of opening up so many possibilities. And I think that's been the case with a lot of the work that I do. I mean, I like to have, whether it's the found structure of the pattern or a character or in the case of uh, some of the installation work that I've done, that structure is literally provided by the architecture. So you you know you walk in, you walk into a room, and the, you know the architecture speaks to me and and dictates to me what I'm going to do to the room as far as painting this mural. It kind of dictates to me what the composition is going to be, as opposed to you know, a blank canvas, a rectangle, square, whatever, that 
the possibilities are endless, right? So I having these sort of obstacles or these restraints frees me up in a lot uh, of ways rather than saying you can do anything you want. So that's too overwhelming for me. Like, I don't like having that. I, I need to sort of set boundaries in some ways for myself in order to free myself. Yeah. You're kind of, you're, you're setting boundaries uh, so that you can improvise and, and kind of go crazy within these boundaries. Exactly. And kind of like bringing it back to what you just, you know, you bring it back to music a little bit. Right. So like, I was thinking you, the you same know, thing. Have, <laughs> they have every, every note in, you know, imaginable, but if you have a scale that you're working within, then you have that structure. Right. Or if you, if you have every color in the world to work with, well, you know, it's nice if you can limit your palette to a certain, you know, number or certain, you know, colors that work together. I almost see it as a, and I may cut this out because I, I hope it translates, but it's almost like you're like the most detailed and uh, improvisational remixer. Because you can, you can take, uh, something again, very, very well known, and by, you know, improvising lines, and you can change it into anything you want. You you can make it mean anything you want. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the work has been, you know, yes, they're definitely mashups. You know, they're remixes. They're, you know, uh, and I'm trying to to take things from, well, once again, going back to high and low, a lot of those those pattern pieces would include references to art history, you know, comics, like I said, logos, everything, but putting it all together. And, you know, and and some of them might have a very specific goal in mind or a theme, but some of them is just like, well, let's put all these things together and see what happens. Yeah. Let's just make it red. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, no matter what, whatever I think it says or means is kind of irrelevant, you know, because everyone's going to have their own interpretation. And then therein lies the beauty in art, right? Yeah. Um, So I'm going to go back to these uh, big installations. Does the presence of an audience influence how you're, like if you know that somebody's going to be walking through this, does that influence the improvisation, I guess? Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of the way I approach it to begin with is, you know, with that in mind. So you're you're dealing with this architecture, right? And you're thinking about it in terms of, you know, visually, formally, you know, how you're going to execute it or what, what you're going to do. But at the same time, you know, you, you have to be thinking about the audience and, and one of the things that always attracted me to doing those large scale pieces was to create something that would that would really kind of overwhelm the viewer, you know, and just really blow them away. I really wanted to just create these things that were just sort of epic and monumental and and just would have just a lot going on visually and and create something that people could go into 
I would like to transform the space from, you know, your typical gallery space where you would walk in, look at each piece and, you know, keep going. I wanted to transform it into a space where you could uh, go and hang out. So I would, I would put uh, usually, I mean, I've doing, been doing this forever. I would, I would bring in these beanbag chairs as sculptural components that would sit on the floor. You know, sometimes the floor will be painted or have, printed graphics on the floor, beanbag chairs that would somehow be related in color to the walls. And, and the shapes of the beanbag chairs were also very uh, similar or echoed the, the shapes of, of my work, these sort of organic shapes. So you're kind of transforming this kind of gallery space into a place where people can go and hang out and, and enjoy it and spend time with the work and maybe sit on the beanbag chair to, to stare up at the ceiling that I painted, you know, and um, so that in that way, yeah, it's, I definitely, it's very intentional. And you, yeah, you think about how someone walks into the room where they might start to look at it and, and how they see it as they walk through. There's a whole, there's a whole uh, sort of bunch of things that, that go along with doing that kind of site specific work where you do think about all those aspects. I, I kind of want to discuss vulnerability. Um, being an artist, uh, you have to put yourself in vulnerable positions, right? You're putting mm -hmm. emotions and ideas into a piece of work and then kind of putting it into the universe. Um, is there a specific piece that you felt was particularly uh, exposing to you, and mm. and were, were there any challenges putting it out? Yeah, that's a tough one. I I know that definitely. Yeah, you. That's that's kind of always the case. You know, when you make something, you know, that you feel strongly about for whatever reason, and then you put it out into the world. That is definitely you know, you have, you're being vulnerable and, and you're just kind of setting yourself up in, in a way. Um, and, but no, I can't think of anything particular work, but I, it, I, it is something that I, you know, that is in, in mind that I do think about when I'm making work and that I have to, you know, yeah, sometimes you'll think, oh, is this, am I, am I, Am I saying too much here? Am I exposing too much of myself here? And that's definitely the time when you have to say, uh, fuck it, you know, that's, right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a sign that you should do it, <laughs> you know? I, uh, and I, guess... and I can't, can't let, can't let that stuff get in your head and stop you from doing anything. And I think the more important question for me personally that relates to this is I find it very abstract of, of how to put yourself into something like I can, I can look at art and go, that's, that's awesome. That's cool. I see what that means, but to sit there and go, how do I put me into this mm -hmm. um, is just kind of beyond me. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I guess I'm asking advice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is the trick. I mean, that really is the trick. And, and I think that that, comes from just doing a lot of work and kind of going back to what I was saying about, you know, being an art school and coming in one week with this, this 
work that was just like kind of went over like a lead balloon. I mean, even though there was nothing wrong with it, but then the next week doing something that that was really unique to me. And that's kind of what I learned in that class actually was, you know, make the work that only you can do, you know, and that's, that's kind of what I've always tried to do. Um, and it, and it just comes from doing it. And in fact, I can think of other times, you know, actually it was when I first moved to New York and I, I was trying to, I was kind of trying to reinvent myself in a way uh, or reinvent my work and, and break out of maybe the, the work that I had been doing just after I got out of art school. And it just came down to sitting down and doing like a lot of automatic drawing, uh, just letting everything, anything and everything come out. And, and then, you know, trying to be careful enough to notice when something came out that was interesting or that, that captured something for me that spoke to me, even if I didn't know why. So I remember that very specifically and then, and kind of latching onto that and then um, exploring that farther. Do you find that the act of creating is more significant than the finished product or the other way around? Hmm. Well, that's a good one because I love making the work. Uh, but the reward is great too. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it was something because I go back and forth. I think it's like, sometimes it's like, it's really about the finished product, man. And I just, I love to have that piece when it's done, but, but I, I don't know, maybe as I've gotten older as well, I, I feel like, you know, there's nowhere I'd rather be than just, you know, really involved in making work and make, you know, really getting involved and lost in making a painting, a drawing. That's the best. And so, yeah, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to lose that. Right. Like I wouldn't want to say, okay, well, if you had, if you had your choice and you could just snap your fingers and the work was done, uh, that would definitely not be, uh, uh, I wouldn't value that as much. So yeah, I'd have to say making it is the thing. Uh, this might be a weird question, but I have this fantasy that when you're looking at stuff and, and you're maybe walking around or hiking or just living your life, you kind of see things in this pattern that you draw in or, or can look at an object and go, okay, this is how I would do, this is how I would draw a camera. <laughs> Or this is how I would draw a microphone, or uh, I don't know, it's kind of ridiculous. But is that in there somewhere? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, yeah, you're always seeing things, and then like, uh, you're like, let me draw this fridge real quick with these lines here, and do these intestinal-looking, uh, whatnot. But yeah, it's it's kind of well. I, one thing that I can think of in particular was there was a uh, it kind of goes back to the mr pringle thing right so it's oh, very exa similar. exactly it's, exactly yeah, yeah. It's very similar in that way you just see something and, oh boom but there was another time where i was driving down the street and there was this banner outside of a this little restaurant on the corner it just said breakfast burritos and i, I and i thought that's a painting right there that's a boom i'm going to take that 
and make a painting and just and kind of what I did was took that literally took that I took a photo of the sign maybe and I uh you know is that out there used, somewhere sorry <laughs> is that painting sorry? out there somewhere oh well yeah it is yeah and I but you know it was at that time I was really interested in kind of defining and articulating all the spaces in between the letters right so the negative spaces in between the letters would become the forms and then the letters themselves would become like there was an atmosphere in the background so it was just sort of a, a once again a way of creating a structure to, within which to improvise and that goes back also i think to music as well the sort of like you know, improvising on structure, chord structure or something. I I don't have too many more questions, but uh, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I could go all day, but I don't, I don't want to take that much <laughs> more of mm -hmm. your time. But uh, there's there seems to be a definite uh, thread of like continuity in your work, almost like a universe um, where all of this stuff kind of lives. Um, have you ever thought of of translating that into some type of animation or um, like video or anything other than, than sculptures and, and paintings and drawings? Yeah. I mean, people have asked me about that over the years and people have suggested that, but it's like, I just wouldn't even know where to begin, you know? And that's just not something that uh, I feel like I could do, you know? So that's just never, I don't know. I think that's something that is just beyond me technically. So I just never pursued it. Um, so again, having such a prolific and, and long career with somebody with your stature, does the word legacy come in where you're like trying to think of your work as a whole and like a lasting impression that you will continue to do or? Or in turn, like how do you how do you keep evolving? Well, as far as legacy goes, like that's definitely something I don't think about or and don't really care about. Um, I'm I'm just sort of you know making my work for here and and now, and if it lasts, that's great. But it's not like that's not necessarily the goal. Um, and as far as evolving, yeah, I mean, that's been all the thing. It's like over the years, it's interesting because there have been times where I've gotten bored with certain thing I'm doing. And it just, you know, you it's kind of impossible to just sort of make, to evolve without it happening just naturally, right? So hopefully things just evolve on their own kind of naturally and slowly sometimes it, it will look like a big jump especially to me sometimes i feel like it's a big jump other people might think it's not but you know it's just a matter of doing what you find interesting at the time and like i said before it's fine to circle back grab something from the past bring it forward see how that works now uh, with what with what uh with what I'm doing now, or what what are you doing now? What 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 is what what are you doing right now? What is uh, what is something that's uh, you've been working on that you're allowed to share? 
Well, you know, I so I, I I did a lot over the summer for the show that I had in Tokyo, which was in October, November. So I did a lot of paintings and stuff for that show, and and that was kind of a big push. And then we had a show; it was great, really fun to go for a couple of weeks and come back. And then then I got really sick for a couple of weeks, and then oh, no. I just think, well, I don't, yeah, I was just whatever. Uh, and then I was then it was Thanksgiving, and then. You know, and then it was decon, yeah. you know, and then it was Christmas. And then it's yeah. just like, I don't know. The whole thing I had the between, same type of thing. Yeah. A whole like between Thanksgiving and New Year's is a really tough time for me to like make work. And I, you know, I also threw decon in there. And um, you have which, a family and yeah, yada, yada. You know, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I'm, and then I got, you know, then so after New Year's, then. New Year's, you know, basically, uh, my wife and I got COVID <laughs> today, <laughs> New Year's Day, you know. So I got it on Christmas. <laughs> you got it on Christmas? Yeah, like yeah. right on Christmas. I got oh, okay, COVID. yeah, yeah. So, so that kind of, you know, so then like today is the first day that I tested negative. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so it took like two weeks. I mean, not that I was feeling bad the whole time, but, and it was, it was pretty mild. I, I got pretty lucky, but I'm really, really dying to get back to just being like getting in the studio there's nothing better for me than like just being in the studio every day working all day picking up the next day where i left off the day before i love that but it's so hard for me to to get into that groove once i get into that groove i'm i'm great i can do it when i get out of the groove it's hard to get back in I completely uh, understand. Yeah, and so today, <laughs> today, today was kind of like the first day of like, uh, well, maybe not today, but it's this week is is kind of like okay, it's there's nothing else. I need to just like catch up on everything and then start some new work. I mean, I'm working. I've been working. I did uh, uh, a commission, you know, when I was over the last couple of weeks. One of these. Um, the stormtrooper helmet. I don't know if you ever, yeah. I, all these objects I paint on. So that sure. was commissioned. So I got that done. That's great. And then um, this other thing, I'll get it. Oh, your camera follows you. Yeah. That's awesome. It's the iPad. Yeah. So, you know, this is in progress, but so I've been working on this. And this uh, is a commission. This is just like, I've, I got this mannequin head at a flea market. Well, I just, yeah, I, I found this at a flea market and I about a year ago and it's just been sitting in the corner and, you know, it's kind of a crazy thing, but these objects that I paint, I only paint them during football season. And I sit <laughs> there and I watch, I watch football, uh, you know, Monday night, Thursday night, whatever. And I sit in here in this room and I paint these objects. And so I just, I did uh, another one, a Bob's Big Boy that's up in the case over here. And then I did the Stormtrooper helmet. And then I had this sitting around. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to work on that while I, because I'm waiting for something else to come. I'm painting a, a Fender base. I'm painting a, uh, a Fender Precision base coming up. Anyway, what's this? What do you have to show me there? It's a blank. I've had this. It just reminded me. I've had this Batman head that's uh -huh. white for like 12 years just sitting around. Oh, how funny. 
<laughs> That's cool. And yeah. But it just well, reminded me of like, yeah. Oh, I have this blank Batman <laughs> yeah. head that I've had yeah, for well, literally over a decade. Well, that's so funny because, yeah, I mean, that's something like that I would go and find at a flea market and I would buy it and bring it home and paint and doodle it. Doodle Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like the Ronald McDonald over in the corner here, I found yeah. that at the Rose Bowl flea market and, uh, you know, a lot of those other things, the smaller objects, the banks and things. Um, but yeah, that started as, you know, a collector of, uh, of mine in Taiwan wanted me to paint on these objects, uh, these cause toys. And I kind of didn't really want to do it because it's hard to do, to paint on these three-dimensional objects. But, um, you know, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And so I did. And it turned, it, I was like, wow, this is kind of fun. And I like sitting here watching the game, doing this. So it's become something I do. I've been doing every year, last for the last few years, every every football season. It sounds so ridiculous, but... Um, I don't think so at all. In a way, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, so I don't, yeah, I'm not wasting my time. And it actually gets me to sit down and focus on on something. It's kind of a nice... If you don't mind... I would like to send you this as a gift for you to keep and paint in while you're watching football. You just have it. <laughs> All right. No, no, no strings attached. Well, well, you know, I, I, I can't say for sure if I would paint it or not, but, uh, it, that would, that's cool. Thank you. Yeah, if you get to it, you get to it, but right. I feel like it's wasteful sitting on my shelf unpainted. <laughs> uh, so you might get something out of it. Okay, cool. Um, I have another ridiculous question and uh -huh. thank you for sharing. Um, if you could have a conversation with any one of your characters in art, which one would it be that you've created? Oh, oh, wow. Well, it'd have to be Popeye. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Popeye now has just, been my just muse. the arm Popeye <laughs> that you've done or the full Popeye? Well, let's, let's give him a mouth. I don't know. Uh, no, Popeye was, it's funny because Popeye was, has been my muse for some reason. Uh, you know, my brother and I, you know, it's a memory of my, my brother and I used to come home from school maybe when I was in, you know, I wasn't like that little, but I was maybe actually seventh grade or something. I remember coming home from school, making a root beer float, sitting down in front of the TV and watching Popeye. And I mean, I've been watching Popeye all my life before that. And, and that character, there was something about his personality, his story, his persona, the whole thing that really resonated with me. So yes, at one point I did, well, when I was talking about doing all that automatic drawing before, right, I sat down and I started doing all this automatic drawing and Popeye's arm sort of became this character onto itself and the other characters from Popeye, Bluto and Olive, you know, all the other characters kind of, they had their own sort of deconstructed, you know, sort of self emerge. And I spent about four years or so almost exclusively working with, with that imagery. And 
So ever since then, anytime that I do have like a new idea of something that I want to try out, but I don't have a particular subject matter uh, in mind, I just usually, uh, Popeye is kind of the go-to um, just as far as let's see what would happen. You know, what would you say to Popeye? That's I don't know. That's a good one. (laughs) I mean, think about. I'm trying to think of what I would say to Popeye. I'd probably ask him how he fits all that spinach in his pockets. But yeah, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, yeah. So Popeye for sure, and you know, um, yeah, been been my muse. That's very interesting. Because uh, it's like a level of nostalgia with he's just kind of been there through the creative process the whole time. Yeah, and I don't know. I, 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 for some, I guess I feel like it's a very sort of you know iconic sort of archetypal story character. You know, the the little guy that you know gets bullied and then you know he he has these superpowers and and he wins the fight and gets the girl. You know. So whatever that says about me, you know. Like. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and, uh, I guess leading to my last question, um, again, being having such a you know extended career, I don't know if that's a good word, but a long career, I'm sure your um, your thoughts on on how uh, a person would. Uh, be successful in this type of medium has changed. Uh, and again, I'll ask the question. I'm sure you've get asked after every one of these towards the end is what would be your advice to somebody just starting out, somebody who wants to quit or somebody who's, uh, you know, trying to do something similar of what you're doing. Yeah. I, well, what was the first part of the question again? Uh, I don't remember. Okay, that's all right. So, <laughs> but no, you know, yeah, you know, and I should have seen that question coming because yes, that is always the question. It's on every. Then, it's always the question at the end. Yeah, but I and you know, and I was just, I just was on this podcast uh, the other day that hasn't come out yet, and I was prepared for that one uh, because I I had this poem that I I read by my favorite poet, Charles Bukowski. I love Charles Bukowski. Okay. So he wrote this poem called roll the dice. So what I'm going to say, my advice is to read that poem because I don't have it here to read to you. Sure. 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 So roll the dice, which is amazing. uh, And it's about this exact sort of subject. And basically the gist of it is just do it. if, If you're yes, exactly. If you're going to try, go all the way. You know, otherwise don't even start, you know, and it is really about just, just, and part of, part of the, one of the, some of the lines in it is do it, do it, do it, do it. In fact, I think that's where Nike got there. Just do it is from that poem. Speaking of Nike, but, you have some shoes, uh, don't you? Sorry. You've done some art on Nike shoes, haven't you? Sorry. I didn't yeah, mean to interrupt. It just yeah, reminded no, that's me. That's all right. No, yeah. I've, I've collaborated with Nike on a bunch of stuff, mostly Nike snowboarding, but I've done, you know, you know, Mark Parker, who is the C or was the CEO at Nike was collecting a lot of my work and we did some projects together. Uh, and that was great. I, it was always great to do, uh, to work with Nike. Yeah, um, 
Yeah. Again, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. I do, yeah, I just remember no. seeing your Nike shoes. Yeah. Um, but you know, just do what, it. What, uh, yeah, just do it. And then the other thing, uh, actually, that I would say is, there's a couple of um, books that I could totally recommend. I don't know if you've read. Uh, I think it's called The Creative Act. It's by Rick Rubin, the music producer, which is an incredible book. Like. It's just, it blew me away. I listened to the audio book like probably eight times, you know, like I just love it. I just think that he's spot on about everything that we, you know, you would, we were just been talking about. And then there's another book by an art critic from New York called, uh, his name is Jerry Saltz. And I love the way he writes about, about artists and about how to be an artist. In fact, he wrote a book called how to be an artist. And, um, he started out as an artist and he became a, a critic, you know, at the age of about 40, I think. Um, he never really studied any kind of writing, but he became, he's Pulitzer Prize winning art critic. And I just love the way he writes about artists. What's his so name that, again? Jerry Saltz, S-A-L-T-Z. Um, so anyway, and then, you know, yeah. So before I forget, on that other podcast, you know, I forgot to thank everyone. So I just want to thank so many people, uh, my wife, my my parents for being so supportive uh, as I was growing up and uh, supporting me and my work and my wife being so understanding about all of this stuff. And, and you know, there was definitely when I when we got married, there was no. <laughs> There was no guarantee of any kind of stability, you know. Yeah, you were broke. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You know, so uh, all of that and, you know, my son and my friends and and all of the people who have given me, you know, opportunities to show my work and all of the people that have supported my work financially and collected my work. I mean, it, it all, it would not be possible without any of them so you know i just wanted to uh to say that on this podcast last last little tidbits is there a character you haven't used yet that you would like to use Hmm. i don't think there's any one character lurking out there it's it's usually no it's usually more of uh it kind of goes with, you know, the time frame that I'm working. Something will pop up relative to that. So, no, I can't say that there is. And is there a band you haven't done art for yet that you would like to? Hmm. I remember you asked Jimbo this um, or someone. and I ask everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you know what? I mean. Ween, I've done a couple of Ween posters, and Ween is really my favorite band right now that I listen to more than any other band. So I'm always psyched to do that. Um, and you know, it's funny, like a lot of the music I listen to is by bands that are just like old. <laughs> so they're probably <laughs> not even really, you know. 
before we, but but no, I mean, if I you know, if I could do like if I could have done like a poster for for Led Zeppelin or something, yeah, I would do that, right? But they're not around anymore. So, any hints at upcoming gig posters? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I I don't know if it's supposed to be secret or not. I remember back when I would do Primus posters, and they'd say, "Oh, well, don't don't you know, keep it under your hat. Don't say." These latest ones, I haven't they haven't said that per se, but I don't know if if I'm supposed to say. But I have a couple of posters coming up this spring, so I'll just leave it a mystery, would, I guess. Would Would you say they're happening between April second? And April seventeenth, <laughs> or Let's April twenty fourth. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could say that. Yeah, maybe. Would you maybe say they're like band? Maybe four twenty is one. This one on four twenty. Would it be yeah. a band that you've already worked with? Yes. One last question: <laughs> Is it have anything to do with anybody's birthday? Uh yes. We'll leave it at that. Okay. I didn't say anything. You didn't say anything. I just asked some questions. Well, Mark, it was such a pleasure. Hopefully uh, I didn't bore you with my questions. I thought it was super insightful and meaningful. Um, And as you thanked all of your family and friends and supporters, I thank you. Well, I appreciate it. And it was really interesting and fun. I think it was a really good interview. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to do it. Yeah, me too. And and thank you for giving me the time. And uh, I don't know how fast your other podcast is coming out, but I have a feeling this will be out extremely soon. <laughs> All right. Well, you might beat him to the punch because I have I not probably heard. will. Okay. I'm, I'm debating on not whether or not I'm going to put it out today. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, again, thank you so much. Um, I look forward to seeing what, what else you come out with and following your art and career. And again, I, I appreciate your time. Well, uh, you're welcome. Thank you. And I guess I should uh, plug my, uh, Instagram at yes, Martin. Yes, yes. Yeah. Please, Mark please do your plugs. Okay. At Martin Becca for Instagram, Martin Becca studio on Facebook. Uh, and that's, those are the only ones that I really, you know, my website, martinbecca.com. So yeah. And my, yes. And I do have those prints up on my, web store uh which you can find through my instagram the link in the bio i've yet to get a piece of your work i should have got one at decon but i was so consumed with getting interviews and trying to do my my work there i, I didn't do much buying but i understand uh, what yeah w- one day i will get a, a mark dean vecca okay well keep your eyes peeled there will be something you, coming sir. up pretty soon mm. I'm, I'm gonna end it Spiral Out Podcast is produced by me, your host, Chris West, edited by me, researched by me. Uh, Everything is pretty much just done by me. Uh, Go to our website, spiraloutpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Instagram at spiral underscore out underscore pod. Facebook, Spiral Out Podcast. And again, if you want to see some of the images associated with this episode, Click the link in the show notes and it'll take you there. Again, thank you for listening. Spiral out. Pod dismissed. Wait, that's another show.